Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Over the Bridge Podcast. Uh, this, this is Patrick, aka P Money, P Dinero. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, we're actually recording just after the announcement of uh, Tier 4. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of our reality right now. I don't know when this episode's going to drop, but um, yeah, it's been a bit mad. What's everybody saying? I'm joined today, actually, I should say this, I'm joined today by a full cast. So we're on a roll, guys. Like, this has been, it's been great. Like, I feel like we're, I don't know, like we're rekindling something or we just got that, you know, like when couples just... They they manage to make things work and everything goes back to like the honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's like, like, wow, it's nice. Man. What an wow. analogy, man. What, what have you been reading, Patrick? I mean, bloody hell. Like. <laughs> well, I haven't actually. Do you know what? I found it so hard to read in lockdown. It's been mad. I've just been. I've been watching The Crown mostly. That's that's been my thing. So maybe that's what's influencing. Um, I fell off when I was trying to watch The Crown, but then I just I just got lost track. I lost. You know what? I've managed to get to episode five of season one on three separate occasions and then and never managed to get further and you don't what you don't, is it because it's just boring or I, I just i've never been into the whole like british downton abbey kind of vibe and i know that the crown is and i know it's not that i know everyone's like oh it's more than just posh people and the royal family there's like a story to it but yeah, just, yeah. i think i've struggled man because it's so unrelatable to me yeah, yeah. As a, as even a story that I yeah, just can't yeah. get my head around it. Yeah, I don't get why I like it because honestly, there's no reason for me to enjoy it. Like, actually, no, that's a lie. I know why I do like it. I like the production value of it. Like, I like how it looks. I like how it's shot. Yeah. I like how they like they properly like take the time to, you know, like make sure everything is well as much as I, possible. I thought you were going to say you like it because of Diana. I mean, I haven't watched a single episode of The Crown. Do you know what? So not the, the, but, you know, the Di- Diana stuff they've done it pretty well. Like it's quite, it's quite, um, it's quite juicy, man. They don't really hold any punches. Is that the expression? Yeah. Um, no yeah. hold punches. Yeah. Something like that. But yeah, they don't, <laughs> they don't, they don't hold back. Like they, they, it's proper. Like and even before Diana, like Diana, it's it's kind of like there's a lot of scandal and whatever else but it's yeah it's, it's all right but i'm not a monarchist by any stretch of the ma- imagination like i yeah but i think like watching it it doesn't make you like them it just makes you see them a bit more for perhaps what they are i suppose it's yeah. quite like how hmm. did we get to talking about the monarchy just for an introduction you know saying hello yeah i know this is not what we do on otb sorry guys but um yeah um how are you lot doing quickly and then we'll because we've got a guest today so i want to yeah i want to introduce our guest and everything but um yeah how you guys doing i'm all right um i think it's it's hard to say in it i think the whole world well, at least the whole of london and southeast england which to me is my whole world feels very deflated at the moment as you said like the announcement of tier four it just feels like repetitive this whole year has just yeah. been this repetitive hokey cokey in out sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, coming to the end of the year where you'll just start, you know, at the end of the year, everyone starts planning succession planning to the new year. And you're like, you know, that, that picture of the woman stepping up on the steps, mm-hmm. she's leaving everything behind in the year before. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ain't got nothing to really leave behind. It's literally just the same thing moving into <laughs> the new year. That's sort of where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting much this Christmas, to be honest. Like, I, I was like, I'm not going to get my hopes up about it being a great Christmas or whatever. Like, I have a feeling there's going to be one last twist or one last thing to just, like, slap us down. And, yeah, here we are. So 
I'm just kind of like, eh, this is what I expected, to be honest. But mm. I didn't think they was going to unlock a new tier level. That's, that's you know. That's, they keep that like, one just in the back pocket. Just like, what? I don't. Because like, like, four went to one to three and all of a sudden it's like, hey. This is like four. <laughs> okay. Hello. Four. <laughs> what are you saying, Okoku? How's everything? Yeah, I'm good, man. This has been my birthday weekend. So. Oh, um, myth. Yeah, it's been it's been a bit miffy. But to be honest, like, I'm not the hugest birthday person anyway. So. I probably wouldn't have got up to to that much more, um, but yeah, basically me and me and Hannah, um, our birthdays are three days apart, so we tend oh, to celebrate nice. that together. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> so she's three days older than me actually, so I was calling her auntie for like three days, <laughs> most of it. Um, but then her brother as well, his birthday's a day after mine, so. Oh um, wow, that's nice. Yeah, we had like a little get together thing yesterday, um, literally like after we found out about tier four. Mm. And police came and locked it off. What? Like, what? Yeah, bro. Hey. The police came to your door. Yeah, yeah, yeah two yeah. policemen I... came and locked it. What'd they what? say? Um, so we were all there, had a bit of music playing, or nothing crazy. It was maybe like 20, 20 of us, maybe. Um, and then we just heard a knock on the door and two officers. One was like a mixed race guy, and then one was like a, a white guy. And to be fair to them. They were mad cool about it, innit? Just like, listen, we just have to enforce thingy. We got a call from someone in the in the area and oh, we know who it is. Snitched. There's one snitch who it school. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause they, they tried to beef, um, they tried to beef my my, my in-laws uh, a few months ago. Mm. So we know that they had a little thing against them. So it's more likely they're not going to be them. But Are they Millwall uh, fans or something like that or what? Uh, bro, I don't even know what it is, to be honest. Like they used to be cool, apparently. But then the guy, I think he has an anger problem. Basically, just, just for context, right? And this is a stereotype in it. But this is a, a, a middle-aged to old white man with a, a youngish Chinese wife. So Okay, all right. I, well. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's what needs to be said anyway. Because like mm. that tends to be... A certain type of person in it mm. and um yeah apparently he's abused that just so many backstight stories and stuff to it but um police came long story short um said they're pretty cool but i just said anyone who doesn't live here and can prove that they live here has to go so it ended the festivities a bit early but then they just a few people came around to mang and just chilled so mm-hmm. uh, wow yeah. how do you prove that you live somewhere quickly like that what do you I don't know do you, do you I go find know like post. bills or something like what if yeah the post i think yeah i guess so but mm. yeah yeah but you can't disprove as well at the same time yeah it's all yeah, yeah yeah but besides that been a good a good week you know 28 mm. so getting older getting on in years but well happy earth strong and all that no thank you guys and tom you're the only one that's not in inside the madness that is the UK. yeah man sort of um, it's like on the other side it's it's much better actually so <laughs> we've been treated civilly over here in the world um do you have bread at least uh yeah of course yeah. i've gone gone to the bakery and got my bread and everything's <laughs> open but uh no it's it's okay yeah um there is a, a kind of smallish lockdown coming on the 22nd our way but that's like restaurants closing back down again but there's no restriction on like mobility or anything like that. It's just, you know, the cases are going up, so they want people, but we're being treated like humans over here and things are being well communicated and like what's going on. So mm. um, mum's a bit kind of sad about things. Obviously Christmas yeah. is not going to happen this year in the way I would have imagined, but it's okay. Um, hopefully when things settle down, I'll probably come back to the UK, hopefully yeah. January, February, but that's about it. Patrick, what about yourself? 
Yeah, um, I'm all right, you know, like, I don't have much expectations left for this year, so it's, it is what it is, like, tier four, I was like, okay, all right, say nothing. I mean, we were supposed to go to my grandma's for Christmas this year, so that's a bit sad, we're not going to see everyone, but, because normally it's like um, us, and then um, my auntie, her two kids, and then my uncle and his kids as well, and my, and my grandma, but... um. Yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna be here at home. I feel like it's just gonna feel a bit like just like any other day, which is a bit Wait, sad. But Len's doing Christmas by herself. Uh oh yeah, maybe. Oh man, I didn't know. Nah, you, you, you've got to, you've at least got to just go to the yard and or like outside and do some social distance kind of Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah I think we pro- I think we probably will because my mum obviously is like she's very she's she's literally been at my grandma's house every day this week, so um, they're very close, so I imagine that yeah, there'll be something within the within the law. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. But we're good. We're good, man. Um, all things considered, and um, yeah, um, I just want to let's crack on with this episode because I want to introduce our guest. Um, so um, we have a very special guest today, as always, and we love our guests. They're always specifically and carefully handpicked. Um, so we are joined today by Ariana. Jimmy Day. Um, she is um, an artist amongst many other things. Um, I, in fact, I think I'll allow her to like introduce herself and give herself the proper introduction. Um, and then we can just go from there. So everybody welcome, Oriana. Hi clap? everyone. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome. Um, yeah, so like Patrick said, I'm an artist. Um, yeah, I'd say that that's sort of the main thing that I do. I write as well, uh, mostly poetry, and have a few um, ongoing initiatives that I, um, yeah, run. So two, basically, all within the creative realm, because that's my bag, basically. So anything creativity and um, entrepreneurship is is basically what I do. Mm-hmm. And... Um... You come from like, I guess, quite a creative background, I suppose, because I did a little read up of you as well. And I, you know, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, I do. So um, both my parents are creatives. My dad's a cake decorator and my mum is a screenwriter. So yeah, it was always going to end up being, well, I think two out of my siblings or three out of my siblings. Mm. Have gone down the creative route only once. There is our little Einstein in the okay. house, and she's okay. going down the politics route. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting because it's like um, I don't know. I, I suppose for like a lot of black and brown families, like normally it's the person that wants to do like the creative thing, that like, the artistic thing. That's like, why are you doing that? You should be doing you know something a bit more vocational, like law or um, I don't know, medicine or engineering? Um, yeah, I think because my parents broke that cycle. So yeah. both my parents are, actually, tell a lie, my, both my maternal and paternal grandmothers mm-hmm. had creative hobbies mm-hmm. um, that they kind of dabbled in as professions as well. So my, my dad's mum was a cake um a baker and cake decorator mm-hmm. so that's where my dad learned it from I see, I see. and then my mum's my mum's mum um went into tailoring for a bit okay okay 
Yeah, so um, my parents were then the first in their families to be like, they're not, or they went and did their degrees yeah, yeah. in in their, you know, professional subjects mm. and then came out and decided that they weren't going to use their degrees and wanted to go into um explore their creative interests so from from the beginning for you did you always feel like you know you were going to be some sort of artist or yeah it was just it was just what I wanted to do so I actually started out with fashion design okay I went to uni studied that for a year Mm. and I yeah and I did like it so I changed to fine art so yeah it was just a case of what specifically I was going to end up doing Cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. And um, so uh, you changed your course at university. What What was the thing that spurred you to change? Was it like, you know, at heart I'm an artist, so let me actually pursue fine art purely, or is it just you um, feeling in your original course? Or yeah. So I think so. I chose fashion design um, when probably I should have chosen fashion illustration. Because I'm, I was really good at you know drawing the sketches, designing the clothes, but when it came to actually making them, it wasn't really my strong suit. So mm-hmm. I think altogether the fashion design course wasn't something that I enjoyed. Yeah, so I took yeah. a gap year to kind of figure it all out and decide what it is that I wanted to do um to go back again I think what I, I felt a bit stifled doing a fashion design course that's how I would put it I didn't feel like I had the creative freedom mm. that mm. I wanted um and it's yeah it's a very like competitive course so everyone's also a bit nasty um and yeah, I wasn't yeah. feeling that for like my uni experience <laughs> so Oriana how has this year been for you Personally, it's been a crazy year, obviously, as we've been discussing um, just in in the intro. Um, And we've sort of talked about this with different guests, like how it's affected, I guess, their sort of their output or like their work and how it's kind of uh, affected like the industry, I suppose, that they they work in and stuff like that. But but I mean, how has it been for you? Has, Has the pandemic of stifled your sort of productivity, your artistry, or has it been sort of like a... I guess, your, has your art been sort of like an escape for you and all, all the madness that's been going on? Um, I think it's been a bit of waves for me. So like some peaks and then mm-hmm. some really low points. I actually started off the year in Spain, which mm-hmm. was really great. I got a job opportunity oh, nice. there for three months. Uh, so that actually got cut mm. short because of the pandemic. So I had to come back very quickly unless I was going to be stuck oh. there yeah because I think we had gone into lockdown two weeks so Spain had gone into lockdown two weeks before the UK had so I was in lockdown there so we stopped yeah. going to work um, yeah yeah and had to be yeah so it was yeah. it was quite a strict lockdown over there like the police were patrolling you could only go to the supermarkets and back and you could only like go by yourself couldn't go with other people so I was doing that yeah, for two yeah. weeks um, and the oh, wow. um, the company that sent us there was just like, you know, you can stay if you want, but there's the likelihood that you will be stuck here um, if you do stay. Um, mm. 
because I think there was like, it was like ending of March and there was one or two more flights leaving Spain to come back to the UK. And then that was going to be it for another two, three weeks. So they gave us the option of like staying back or heading back home. And I was just like, I'm going to head home. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I think coming into the lockdown in U- the UK was just, I like, I don't like the UK. So <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, I was having so much fun in Spain. Yeah, and then yeah. I came back into the UK. And I came back. Where about in already. Spain were you? Seville. Oh, nice, nice. I know Seville. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was lovely. It was, you know, Seville's yeah. really small. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't, you know, the city life. It was just very lovely and quaint um, and tight knit because there was a bunch of us that left from the UK to go. So we spent a lot of time together. So it was really fun. Um, so I feel like I came back. I feel like I had like a week or two of quote unquote rest. And then I started doing work again. Yeah. But that was tricky because I was living with, um, I was living in my aunt's house. Right. Uh, so it was my aunt, my mom, me, my cousin. And then we had like different family members back and forth in and out of wow. the house. Yeah, so it was yeah. a, yeah, it's like, it's a flat. So it was busy. So I didn't actually have, um, oftentimes I didn't have space to work. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it wasn't quiet enough for me to work as well. So mm. yeah, I caught a few moments whilst I was there to, you know, I was like, I'm going to enforce trying to paint so people in the house would give me my space and I could do that yeah but that was pretty much it actually I did a bit of hosting some events that was easy to do because okay. uh, I could just steal a room for like an hour or two um and I was okay, doing okay. some virtual creative events on one of the um platforms that I run yeah yeah, um, yeah and that was pretty much me and then I started work full-time again in September. Okay. Um, yeah, I work as a, a special needs uh, teaching assistant. Um, so, yeah, since I started work, I haven't had time to do anything. Yeah. 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 And with your sort of, I guess, your nine to five, is it something that kind of you incorporate sort of like your artist background um, with what you do in your nine to five? Like, is there any opportunity to kind of, merge the two or is it just kind of like you have your nine to five there's that's to one side and then when you have time you know you can go back to your art um no I do I feel, I feel like I do get the the opportunity to incorporate what I do um in my nine to five uh mm. so so I work through an agency which gives me the opportunity to kind of work in different um locations so different schools okay um and education centers so the past three months I've been working at a learning center for autistic children okay um and so the reason why they actually um selected me was because of my creative background because a lot of the work that they do with the kids um incorporates creativity even with their more sort of academic subjects there's that sort of creative element to yeah. what they're doing because that's how they learn mm-hmm. so yeah it's been it's it's great because I had the opportunity to do that to work in that way with the children yeah, um, yeah. yeah in centers like that they they like a lot of sort of you know having a creative flair to what mm-hmm. you're doing yeah mm-hmm. 
Cool, cool. Um, this actually leads on quite nicely to um, something else I wanted to ask. But um, just before I go on, I just wanted to check with the guys if they, if there was anything that they wanted to ask or should I just crack on? I guess the silence is, uh, uh, that means I'm okay to crack on. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So you, speaking about sort of like how, um, how being sort of creative um, is preferable for somebody that works with um, children with uh, different needs. Um, I guess that, that kind of using art as a, as a, as a means to means for people to express themselves and sort of, um, I guess, help them with sort of difficulties and things like that. Um, that's very much a part of um, what you do with, with one of your initiatives, right? Um, that is yeah. the Medela School, right? Yeah. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that and how that started and, and um, what that sort of looks like today. Um, yeah, so that started about four years ago now. Okay. Three. Yeah. Um, and it was actually, when I started it, I started it for women. Um, so, um, it was more, yeah, kind of geared towards working with young women because I felt like I had more to share, um, with young women at the time. Mm -hmm. And then as it grew, um, there was, there were opportunities for me to host with organizations that, um, were sort of multi-gender. So I took those opportunities, um, and then I think off the back of that, decided to sort of rebrand what I was doing okay. and open it more to uh, a wider audience. Um, yeah, so I think three years on, I've worked with a few charities, um, some corporate companies, um, and obviously schools and education centres, just working, running art workshops mm-hmm. um, based on sort of targeted issues around mental health and well-being. Okay. Uh, which is yeah, basically the core of what we do at the Medela School. Um, yeah. So even my nine to five now is kind of like a bit of experience for me to kind of open me up to a bit more um, yeah. sort of areas of you know learning difficulties and uh, behavioural difficulties um, and and so on. Um, I'm actually wanting to go and do my masters in art therapy at some point. Okay. So yeah. All of what I'm doing now for now is kind of like preparing me for that. Yeah, yeah. And is this something that you had in mind to do um, from, you know, when you were studying fine art university? Did you think that eventually one day that you would be um, sort of working with art to help, um, I guess, heal people and kind of improve their well being? Or, or was it something that, I guess, sort of just came about just from? from doing what you do sort of your nine to five and then just discovering that there was that kind of intersection? Um, no, I knew. So I think it was towards the ending of my first year at uni that I knew that I wanted to become mm. an art therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I had just been doing your general research. Like what do you want to, like, what do you do after you finish university? It was quite early for me to be doing that, but that's how my brain works. I mean, mm. I'm such a planner and I plan ahead. Um, a lot of the time so I was just you know musing about what it was that I wanted to do post um, my undergrad and that came up um, because I felt like 
the art that I was making at the time was to do with healing. So I was like, oh, what can I do professionally that could merge yeah. the two? And art therapy, you know, came up as something um, to explore. Mm-hmm. And I sort of went with it. Cool, cool. And like, I, I've obviously like, um, I guess, yeah, being a sort of, I don't, I can't, I always call myself a creative, but like with an asterisk, but I understand like the kind of the sort of catharsis that you get from expressing yourself creatively and um, just having some sort of creative output is, is, is good for your, your mental health, but specifically with, with art therapy, um, for those that are listening that um, probably haven't really engaged with the, the idea of it before, um, are you able to kind of talk us through how art is able to kind of improve one's mental well-being? Because um, I like I did a little bit of reading about the Medela School as well, and um, it says that <clears throat> it's there to you know improve your emotional um, well-being and like help helping people to kind of like navigate their sort of interpersonal relationships, whether it's like whether it's like with a significant other or with family or even in the workplace. So. Are you able to sort of talk us through how um, how you approach art therapy and and how that kind of helps people with their with their well being? Yeah, um, I'm actually interested in more so the preventive care, should I say, um, okay. or, be, or being proactive about our well being and mental health. Um, so a lot of what is happening in this, or should I say, art therapy industry is more aftercare. So art therapy being used as an alternative form of um, healing or, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, as opposed to sort of medic- medication. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, in dealing with different types of um, emotional um, and mental health issues. Yeah. But I'm, yeah, I'm more so interested in what we can do to um, help people manage their general well-being before it, it before it gets to a point where they may be dealing with uh, a deeper or um, emotional issue or you know veering yeah. off into it becoming a mental health issue or illness yeah, so yeah. a lot of the work that I do is is more focused on that so yeah so like you were saying sort of interpersonal interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. work and all the the type of things that could affect uh, a person's emotional or mental well-being are things mm. that the workshops I run deal with um, yeah. as well as um, sort of I don't want to call them mild but then maybe the beginning stages of certain mental health issues like anxiety or yeah. um, like early depression would be yeah, yeah what I'd be working with as well but I'm I think because I haven't trained as a therapist yet I'm very careful yeah. the sort of work that I'm I'm starting to do or currently okay. doing so I don't don't deal with um mental health issues so to speak unless I'm working in partnership with a therapist so okay. I'm I'm happy to work with a therapist and design workshops um alongside a therapist yeah yeah you know to target some someone's mental health issue but I can't work alone because I don't have the qualifications to do that Mm. um yeah so until I you know do my master's I'm I'm more dealing with preventive care I just want to I just want to ask 
Oriana, what's what's the process of how does it actually look like? Um, you know, when you work with people as you said in the early stages of, of going through um something mental health wise, what 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 is the process actually? How do you know how do they work with you and 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 also with the therapist? What does that process actually look like? Um, so usually it's again, like I said, so I deal with sort of the beginning stages or you know, early stages of things. It's usually just getting a, a message from someone saying, Can you design a workshop or you know, some activities or exercises around um ex mental health issue or well-being issue? Um anything from as specific as um, someone dealing with body image issues to um, anxiety or stress. So it's it's more kind of maybe the, what word do I want to use? Not symptoms, the, the things that are causing them to have a, a mental health issue that I, I, I work with as opposed to the mental health issue itself. So what might it, be that is causing a person to have anxiety is it circumstantial obviously if it's if yeah if it's a biological thing or a medical thing then I can't necessarily work with that that's not my line of work but if it's a a kind of yeah circumstantial thing where you know it's to do with a family member or to do with a a thing that they're dealing with internally to do with the um how they feel about their career or work, then I'm able to help in that capacity. So I work mm. with them on that particular issue yeah. um, to improve that particular issue so it doesn't contribute to their mental health um, issue. And how does the medium of art actually, I mean, in your, in your experience, have you found, how have you found that the medium of art has actually been um, healing for, for people? And especially for those who are perhaps a little bit more skeptical, just saying, oh, it's just art. But, but how have you, um, I guess, been able to break that barrier down and actually make people realize that there, there are some healing qualities in using, um, yeah, a medium such as art to kind of express how someone feels? Um, I think just in in that um, that last sentence, the expressing how you feel, I find that with most people, that's where the struggle is so you know even for people who do like talking therapy um when I speak to you know just some of my friends or people that I know who are doing talking therapy they talk about how sometimes when they're at therapy there's just like awkward silence because they don't Mm. know what to say um and you know they don't really know how to express what it is that they're feeling I feel like art is like a happy medium to mm. be able to do that it's it's a way it's a good way to process um yeah. i'd start with that you know so i'm i'm someone who apart from doing art i journal a lot as well so journaling mm-hmm. journaling is another form of processing for me yeah. so i yeah i find that art is a good way to process your emotions mm. um it's also a good way to maybe identify things that you don't even know that you're feeling Mm. until you've gone through the process of creating something so what has happened in some of the workshops that I've run is um so a key element of the workshops that I run is what I like to call circle time which is where I give participants the opportunity to share 
um, what some of their work means, um, what was going through their mind when they were creating it. And what this does is it helps people process, basically they're, they're now expressing what it is that they were feeling and can talk mm. us through that. And sometimes what happens when we have the circle time is people come up with stuff that actually wasn't happening when they were creating the work, but then they right. only that has only just dawned on them as they are describing the work mm. that they created, you know, so they're looking at it and, and I'm like, why did you use the color blue, for example? And they're like, oh, I didn't really think about it, but now that you've asked, I feel like I use the color blue because of this. And it delves mm. into like a separate issue or emotion that yeah. they didn't know they were experiencing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Add um, two kind of like um, separate questions. So first one being um, when I look at the kind of traditional, like traditional medicine, there are certain stigmas around alternative medicines, holistic um, medicine, Ayurvedic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they're often kind of seen as kind of quasi, uh, maybe not the most um, valid form of, of healing, for instance. And I was wondering mm. whether or not there's a similar perception within um, psychotherapy um, where maybe the more traditional forms of therapy, I don't know, look down if there's some form of kind of stigma behind that and, um, you know, how you kind of react to that dynamic. Um, and then I had a second question around um, confidence of the participants. So when you're running a workshop, and I know for a lot of people who don't feel like they have a creative or artistic background or ability, um being told to express themselves through art might be quite daunting or they might you know have a um, low confidence around that so um, do you face that and also how do you kind of help overcome that for the um, participants of like the workshops and stuff yeah okay so I'm going to answer the second second question first because it kind of feeds off what I was saying beforehand Um, in terms of confidence I think as an organization with what I do at the Medella School, I'm very clear about communicating to participants and the audience that it's not about skill. So what we do at the workshops has very, very little to do with your skill in art. It's about engaging in art as an expressive process. So you are literally using it to express, which means that you could come up with or create absolutely anything. you I do encounter what you know I would call the perfectionist who is very interested in creating (laughs) you know the perfect piece of art artwork um and tackling it with them is really maybe kind of designing the workshop around um their value of art the value of what they're doing so kind of meeting that need for perfectionism so to speak but in a way that still allows them to process the emotions that they're feeling um so yeah I think in terms of like confidence with participants is literally just letting them know that what we're going to be doing has nothing to do with having an art skill it's just a way to express um your emotions so that's I always start with that every time I do a workshop and pass on that information. In terms of the first question, I feel like when it comes to stigma, 
I've never really had an issue with with stigma just because I think I already have there's a lot of stigma with what I do as an artist or to begin with so art as a profession um is generally looked down upon in comparison to you know you're more you know it's not even seen as a profession in some um communities and some mm-hmm. you know so there's there's that already that I'm dealing with or deal with on a regular basis so mm-hmm. art therapy just kind of <laughs> fits into that big box or bubble should I say of being looked down upon uh, mm-hmm. based on what I'm doing you know professionally so yeah whether it's the the more uh traditional uh therapists looking down on me or looking down on what I do as an art therapist it really just mirrors um, the lawyer looking down on what I do Mm. as an artist yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. it's the same thing for me so so even amongst therapist professionals art therapy is kind of seen as the kind of the black sheep or a bit of a kind of sort of wild card or off the wall yeah I think it's I think it's changing now Mm. Um, because I mean I would like, I would expect that, you know, any sort of therapist would see the kind of importance of anything that achieves a sense of well-being, like whatever the means are, you know, like if yeah. it's a, a healthy medium um, that you would at least, you know, appreciate that, okay, this person is um, offering a different kind of therapy, but, you know, it's something that um, allows um, people that participate in it you know, a sense of, of well-being and, and like a, a good outlet, but. Mm. I mean, I think it's very nuanced because I think with, with it, you still have people coming from a, a place of like their cultural backgrounds and all kinds of things mm. that form their opinion about it. Yeah. So, you, you know, I'm saying there's a, you know, you could have like a, a, a black therapist who perhaps is not, as keen as a Caucasian therapist mm-hmm. to um, what art therapy may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just to do with, you know, them coming from maybe a more a cultural background where art in of itself is seen as something that you just do for fun. So how can it be a form of, of medicine? Yeah. You know, so I, yeah. So I think there's, there are those layers mm. when, when we're looking at it um, mm. as an issue of be, it being looked down upon. Mm. Um, I just inter- wanted to, go on. Oh, no, no, because I, I just, yeah, I, I wanted to just, um, something came to mind, or, you know, as you were talking a bit earlier on about um, like people, people being perfectionists and things like that. So I was thinking when you actually work um, with your clients, as it were, um, do you, do you notice any trends in terms of techniques like art techniques being used and what people are going through or colors being used and how they feel. And have you over time seen like any common trends in terms of the way, what people do and what it could potentially map out to be? Obviously it's not always going to be perfect, but have you seen any kind of correlation between, yeah, the use of colors or use of specific techniques or yeah. That, Cause sorry, Patrick, that just came to my head right now. No, actually. that's, that's, so, that's a yeah. good question. Um, yeah. Um, I think that, so uh, just describing or looking at people who are more kind of the would fit into the perfectionist box I noticed that they a lot of them like 
to do, interestingly enough, um, they like to do a lot of abstract art or enjoy the abstract art activities more. Um, and maybe it's because it, it takes away from the, should I say, the failure of creating something that they could get wrong. So, you know, if you're painting a face and it doesn't really look like the face you were trying to paint, mm. then, you know, you have to confront that as a perfectionist. But if you're doing an abstract piece of art, it's abstract. So mm. mm-hmm. there's you can't go wrong with it. Mm. So I've noticed a trend of, of them enjoying the sort of more experimental abstract forms of art Um, so like an activity that I run for example is where I get them to pick a a particular shape and create a piece of work with that shape by you know creating sort of like patterns and drawing it multiple times and then using three colors Mm -hmm. to to create a piece of work so that's something that usually goes down really well with the, the perfectionist because then you can't get it wrong yeah. it's just shapes and color mm. um and then they can really make it their own um so you you find people who for example would draw like their kind of edged shapes with a ruler which makes me squirm but <laughs> just like i'm like go for it you know but that's because that's how they work yeah um so can i just ask as a quick general question in yeah. art like generally rulers are seen as a no-no like you just like if you need to draw a straight surface in art you just gotta do it freehand you are just yeah your, your everything art. is done freehand in art like you're not allowed a ruler you're not allowed a rubber to rub mm-hmm. things out if you make a mistake you draw over it but who makes those yeah. rules is it just like just just like i guess the the canon i suppose the 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 way that it's just always been been yeah i guess it has always been that so that's how i got mm. taught at, at mm. art school you know yeah. you don't you don't use a ruler to draw you don't use a rubber to rub things out mm. you just mm. you just draw freehand mm. um and keep you do as many layers as you have to do to right. get what you're trying to do I see. Um, so maybe start drawing off really faint if yeah. you're not sure um mm. and get dark as you go along Mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. you, it's it's not seen as, but it's I think it's to overcome this idea that what you're doing is a mistake. So yeah, right. in in okay. some in some art circles, they'll tell you that nothing is a mistake mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in what you're doing. So even when I was doing studying art at university, you know, my tutors would say no piece of work is a mistake. It's all because you get um, marked on your process anyway. So it's right. all research. Um, right. Okay. It's all a process. So they will mark those things. Mm. So you, you know, you don't throw away mm. pieces of work as well. Mm. I was, um, I was going to ask, um, cause in your analogy earlier, um, about sort of different attitudes to art therapy, um, you used, I guess it was just like a, maybe a random example. I don't know if there's anything more to it, but you mentioned yeah. if it was a black therapist versus say a white therapist, um, the black therapist, perhaps because of their their cultural background, um, they wouldn't look as favorably favorably on on art therapy. Um, and I just wanted to kind of shift the the sort of the direction of the conversation a little bit to to how um, race interacts with with art and um, how well specifically um, how 
black people engage with art. Um, how has it been in terms of um, your classes? Um, do you have like a kind of a mixed bag of people that come in that, um, you know, um, want to um, want to participate? Um, have you like noticed any kind of like, any kind of difference when it comes to like um, racial backgrounds or like cultural heritages to their approach to, to, to art therapy? And um, there's a bit more that I wanted to ask um, regarding this kind of intersection, but we can go from there. Yeah, um, I think because, yeah, I've worked with loads of different groups of people. Mm. Um, so it's it's really interesting when I get asked this question because, mm. yeah, um, I find that it's, there's, there's different things at play. Mm. Um, I wouldn't even necessarily put it down to race specifically. So, for example, when I work with malls or corporate clients, for example. Right yeah their approach to things is very different to if I'm working um with uh you know at a youth center mm-hmm. um in terms of like how they engage with what is happening so you know the corporate clients are probably doing this as just like a sort of well-being day as part of their well-being program that they have to tick off the box mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> within yeah. their within their company yeah yeah, so yeah yeah, it's the approach that they have to it is very uh should I say lackadaisical they just they're just there because they have to be there right because their company requires them to be there yeah um so that's that's how they come into the into the session so Mm. it's for, for them it's about maybe opening them up just a little bit because I only when I'm running a session like that I only have like an hour and a half or two with them anyway yeah so um I wouldn't say that it would my goal there would always be that someone necessarily experiences like healing so to speak Mm -hmm. it would be more about opening them up to seeing art as a way that they can heal so Mm -hmm. helping them encounter or engage with that as a concept Mm -hmm. so that you know activities that I would do would be geared towards that or sometimes it could just be just a little bit of fun for them to have after a long day of work right um so yeah so there's yeah there's that then you you would have maybe yeah what would be more cultural Mm -hmm. um outside of maybe office culture but in terms of like cultural heritage yeah. um yeah i have had a one or two not as many as i thought but one or two experiences with people who kind of didn't didn't really understand what art was about in the first place mm. um to then even be engaging with you know what would be art therapy yeah um which is which is something that i'm learning that is something that i i need to tackle as an organization as well mm-hmm. it's this idea that you know people are coming in and you, they've never been to a gallery yeah yeah or, yeah like so i had someone say that to me once mm. that they've never been to an art gallery and obviously for me as an artist that's just like um okay <laughs> <laughs> you've never been to an art gallery that's that's interesting so mm you're you have someone who doesn't look at art yeah yeah he doesn't consume art in any shape or form 
mm. coming in to do a workshop so I, to do mm. art. Yeah. I was going to say, I read, I read something a long time ago about kind of like the philosophy of life and stuff. And one of the, one of the most interesting examples they provided, it was loads of thought, thought experiments. And they said, well, uh, and, and I still to this day, don't know what to make of this statement. I don't think it's true, but I think there is some kind of like philosophical quality in the statement. And it said that art has no definition apart from to serve itself. That's what makes art a form of true art. Now I have no idea how that makes any sense. I don't know if artists agree with that or not agree with that in terms of what art actually is. Cause you were speaking about earlier who defines, you know, like the canon of, canon of art, for example, not being able to use a ruler and, and actually then there being no such thing as a mistake, which almost does suggest that there is, art has no, you know, art starts off generally speaking as formless and then it becomes formed. How does it even become formed in the first place? So I guess often that's where the skepticism of art actually comes from because people see it as this kind of, um, like a, an ancillary part of life. People don't actually see it as a core part of life. And so what, what you do is you actually, you make it, uh, you potentially, you make it into the core of somebody's life. And so I think that's where often some of the skepticism can come from because a lot of the time, you know, things feel to have a purpose. In other words, there's a means, there's an end. But I think sometimes with art, it feels like there is a means, there is no end. Um, and I often think, you know, often where we're conditioned, you have to be doctor, lawyer, engineer, banker, blah, 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 blah. Those are, those doing that is a means to getting to an end. That end is being able to make people hopefully, you know, touch wood, financially comfortable. Um, mm. And I think that's probably where some of the skepticism comes from. It's there is no end to this, this, there is no end of a road. There is just a constant journey and destination that you can use with art, I think. Um, the thing with, um, the sort of the example of like kind of lawyers and engineers and stuff like that, like obviously there's the financial end for the people that are those things, but also like those people are providing a service, I guess. So I feel like that's the thing with artists as well. That's often kind of um, trivialized that, you know, like artists mm. and by extension creatives, mm. Mm. they allow us to, I guess, mm. see the world differently and allow us to kind of, take in things from a, a different perspective. Um, Absolutely. I don't know if I'm making, I'm being No, no, it makes clear, sense. But... And, and, and I was going to say to add to that, often um, when you do these kind of um, like political questionnaires about where in politics do you sit, do you sit kind of left or right from an economic perspective? Are you more of a libertarian, more of an authoritarian? Um, there, There's always a question about how you feel about arts and the culture. Um, and, yeah. and do you think that arts and the culture and uh, various creative mediums are necessary in society or do you not feel they're necessary in society? Yeah. And that often does, you know, the way people have attitudes towards the arts actually does pretty much inform or it can inform you of someone's political opinion or at mm. least economic opinion, not necessarily political opinion in terms of... Uh, I think political as well, but... Yeah, okay, that's true. Actually, yeah. that, that is true. Because, mm. Yeah, actually, because when I think about it, you... Yeah, there is a different. Yeah, actually, yeah, I can I can see that too. But I, I often think that's where the skepticism comes from because people are often they they think about the world in a very one dimensional way and think about the world in kind of a, the way of profit motives and and kind of ignore everything else and so ignore uh, the quality of life that exploring life in different mediums can bring. You know, mm -hmm. so people laugh at the idea of using art. People laugh at the idea of using uh, journalism uh, journals. 
um, to express how they feel. And I, I used to, I used, I still do every once in a while. I used to just journal stuff, and it's a very good release, I think. Mm. But people often ignore it because they're like, I just got, I just got to secure the bag without securing their their well-being, you know? So, mm. and I often think that's where some of the skepticism is stemmed from. That's more a comment than a question, but I, I'll let you guys continue from there. But yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what, what you think, Oriana, about. Um, I, I 100% agree with that sort of like one-dimensional thinking about, um, and then the fact that sort of art has no um, relevance in what we do as human beings. Like it's just, everyone's, just trying to get by what is the point of of having art um or any sort of creative uh medium but I feel like I don't know for me in my head I feel like we've not everyone but I feel like we've moved on from that point like just looking at the nature of the pandemic for example everyone's mm. at home mm. what what has everyone been consuming mm-hmm. exactly um, 100%. yeah 100% <laughs> so I uh, I think what I'm uh, I'm trying to say is that we need to move on from that point yeah. because, you know, the lawyer who doesn't see any relevance to what we do as artists was probably sitting at home binging stuff on Netflix that mm-hmm. was created by artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah, there's just like no conversation to be mm-hmm. had in regards to that mm-hmm. based on, especially the generation that we live in. Yeah. I think by by default we consume art. Yeah. Um, people may not even think about it, but just a fact of the way we live, we're constantly consuming art. Yeah. Um, so it is relevant to to how we live currently. I think um a lot of it has to do with also how um people kind of view fine art um with regards to like I guess other artistic pursuits. So in a sense. And I think even just sort of the word fine art, it kind of designates it at one end of the spectrum, which is like, you know, this is, um, this is like quite quite exclusionary. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, it's like the sort of the, the cream of the crop and it's kind of like something that is like, as Tom said, exclusionary or even sort of elitist. So maybe like when people talk about art, like if, if, if we were just to talk about like, let's have a conversation about art, people don't automatically think about other um, artistic forms of expression, like music or um, um, spoken word or, or film, cinema, photography. They don't think about that because that's a little bit more approachable, but um, sorry. Yeah. They don't think about those things because it's like that to them doesn't immediately kind of, they don't associate that immediately with the idea of art. Art is has become sort of almost this kind of, I guess, um, elitist kind of thing that's out there. And I think most people kind of associate um, the general sort of um, concept of art with with fine art. And that's something that I kind of wanted to sort of touch on next. So, um, I mean, I had a couple of questions around kind of like fine art and, and, and whatever, but um, I think, for the purpose of this conversation, I just wanted to ask, do you think that, you know, more black people need to engage and appreciate fine art? Um, and if they're like, I guess as people listening, um, um, regardless of like their racial background, but like, I feel like for a lot of people, there's this kind of, um, this hesitance because they don't even really know where to begin when it comes to sort of appreciating fine art, um, 
and sort of even like kind of like access to to art both in the kind of um in the sort of physical literal sense but also just kind of um i guess in the not so in the sort of more figurative sense it's kind of like access just by virtue of it being fine art is it can come across as quite elitist and um sort of even like sort of gallery spaces can be quite sort of inhospitable to to people that perhaps don't really see themselves as belonging to that kind of um that area of society whether it's by virtue of their race or their their social class or even their kind of um even maybe because of a disability or something like that so yeah. i just wanted to ask like sort of how did do you think that more well, black people specifically, because, you know, this is a black mixed race podcast, but like, how do people kind of engage with, with fine art? And, and do you think that it's necessary for everybody to kind of sort of engage with it and go to galleries and appreciate paintings and, and whatever else? Yeah, it's interesting because I'm, I'm actually currently very much in the beginning stages of designing like a program that deals with this issue. Um, and whilst kind of doing my research, I'm learning that because um, I, I did a few questionnaires with just like some friends and people that I know. And I asked them when their first like so a question that's in the questionnaire is when was their first experience like of art? When like when did they experience art for the first time? And most people um response to that is in primary school like they did art in in primary school in class yeah that was their first kind of like encounter with art and what happens with that as well is all those same people that's where it began and ended Mm. so with this thing that I'm trying to work on and design is I'm I'm trying to open that up a bit more where there's a, a a kind of form of education that makes art accessible from very young Mm -hmm. um, and carries it on up until secondary school. And when I I say accessible, I'm not just talking about art in class, I'm talking about visiting galleries as well. Mm. Because I guess it is something that is done in schools occasionally, depending on what school you go to. Um, So yeah, does your school even have the budget for that kind of, trip for example but um part of what i'm trying to do is change the attitudes around um how art is seen because i think even in in at primary school level for example at school level for example um there are attitudes that people have towards art as a subject yeah so as a school subject that affects how people go on to or how young people and then who become adults go on to view art for the rest of their lives Mm, mm. so we're talking about people who whether it was their parents who told them that they can't they should not even look at the creative side of anything Mm. or it is teachers in school who are enforcing um learning the maths the english and the science and giving arts half an hour in a day in one week what you see is it's basically a back burner area of of anything so from home to school Mm. there's no focus on it 
So I think you can't then expect that someone's going to grow up and then start visiting galleries out of nowhere. Yeah, Like that kind of interest in the arts has Mm. to be nurtured from a really young age Mm. is what I'm I'm beginning to understand. Um, In terms of the other side of things where sort of the um the arts um and you know art spaces can um in terms of them being very elitist mm. um I was, I, I was thinking sorry just one more thing um I was thinking just the other day like even like the kind of um when you step into a gallery or an art space like it is before you even kind of meet anyone or talk to anyone or even see any of the art like you're made to feel I don't know like it's it's so like kind of clean and like often yeah the walls are white and like um I, I know it kind of I don't know it might sound trivial to some people but like even just kind of like the the clean straight lines and obviously that is there to be like a blank canvas for the art that's being displayed but I feel like all of that kind of has this kind of um air of um intimidation um especially if you're not not, like the first time going to an art gallery like I I can't remember the first time I went to an art gallery because I've like luckily like I've grown up going to things like that but I can imagine like for somebody that doesn't go to stuff like that um it can seem quite like it's 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 like an institution that's quite sort of like this is us and you meet us here kind of thing and Mm. you kind of like you you don't necessarily belong in this space, even though we've like granted you access. Like it feels like, um, especially like as a as a black man appreciating art, it does feel like you are sort of temporarily granted access to the space where you don't necessarily belong. Um, yeah, and it's, and it's more than just like the kind of um, the art itself, but also just like the 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 environment, like the physical environment. Um, but yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that just no, no, no worries at all. I think. For most people, what I say to most people in terms of tackling that, I all, I always say to them to start small. Yeah. So you do have this all more the smaller galleries, some um, which are even part of like community centres that are more open to a wider range of audiences. So they are more accommodating in how um, the space is designed, in how you know they give people access to the space yeah uh, so i encourage people to start their you know sort of engagement with art from there yeah because then you 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 cut out all of that red tape so to yeah speak, in yeah. terms of you know the white space um mm. the security guards the, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah because yeah. i know exactly what it is that you're talking about yeah. even as an art student like mm. I remember us going to a gallery for a trip. This is a group of art students who go to an arts university. Yeah, yeah. And we get to the space. Um, Our tutors are, like, behind us. So this just looks like a bunch of young people coming into an art gallery space. And then, you know, we're walking around a particular piece of art and, you know, the security guard stops us and starts asking us a bunch of questions and making us feel really intimidated. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as he's doing that, one of my art tutors then comes because my art tutor was the one who um, brought us there based on having known one of the curators at the gallery. So they right. 
she had a connection there yeah. and we came to visit the space. So it wasn't an open access mm. um, um, viewing. And so she had a conversation, said who she was, said who right. she knew and why mm. we were there. So yeah. I completely understand yeah. that, um, that it's, experience. It's by virtue of knowing your art teacher, I suppose, that you were granted access to that space. Access to that space, basically. Yeah. 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 So and, there's and, definitely something to be said about mm. making art more accessible. Yeah. But I think that where where that is happening is where there's the intersection between art and communities. So yeah. where art is being made in a community like space yeah. or as a community, you know, as a community like hub is where there's that accessibility, you know, yeah. so you, you have places like, um, so I recently just applied for uh, space at Somerset house. They do um, an exchange where you can have like office space and studio space. I saw that actually on, um, on yeah. Twitter. Well done. That's amazing. Thanks. Um, <laughs> thank you so much in exchange for kind of like um, you delivering, providing a service with some of the skills that you have. Um, and where galleries or big spaces like the Somerset House are doing things like that is where there will be more accessibility. So because now I have access to Somerset House, I can bring in whoever I want to bring into Mm. Somerset House to come and view. So my access to Somerset House means that I get discounted tickets to view shows, even um, free tickets to view shows. Yeah. That I could give to friends and I could yeah. give to family members. And so that's how we begin to tackle that issue of, mm. of art being inaccessible. Mm. It's you, basically beginning to open up those spaces in that way. Yeah. Do you, do you think that that is something that is um, happening a lot more now or do you, because we're speaking about Somerset house, but you know, are there other, I guess, actually, you know, like um, the Tate. Yeah, the Tate does yeah, does a, I, a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah, like um, late nights on Thursdays and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But I guess, yeah, I mean, to be honest, that uh, for me, so growing up, like that was one of the ways that I was able to like get into art a little bit more because of, of things like that. Like I remember like the, I used to go to, um, like the Tate Modern with my mum and stuff like that. And I feel- Yeah, I do as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually thinking about it, that was quite a positive sort of experience for me because it definitely allowed me to feel a lot more comfortable in those spaces. But I don't know, it just feels like a lot of it is quite few and far between. And also the other thing that I noticed the other day, so I went to see um, Lynette Yadamwache's um, exhibition um, at Tate Britain. Um, I don't know if, you, if, um, if you've seen it yet or- um, No, I haven't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I went down there and, um, it's amazing because I don't know if you know much about her art, but she basically, um, depicts black figures, black people, um, just like just doing, just being themselves, but also all Mm. of the, um, all of the figures that she paints are not actually, um, portraits of any real people, but, um, just from like, from her, her, like her mind, like she just kind of makes up these, these, these people, um, but like every single figure that I saw is like, I know that person or like, I know like that every single person that I saw was like familiar, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, it, and it was like, it was an amazing experience for me because it was like, this is one of the first times I've been in an art gallery where I feel seen. 
by the yeah. art that I'm looking at. Um, and I think that is like a, a, a really important thing as well. Like um, yeah. just getting to actually see yourself depicted in art. Um, I think that is one of the reasons why um, a lot of the art, the fine art that we consume in the West or in this country, it may feel kind of inaccessible to us because we're not seeing figures that kind of, we're not seeing any kind of representation. Um, but I don't know, what, what do you think about that? Is that something that... Um, what you've just said, funnily enough, kind of, for me, takes me back to what I was saying in the beginning. Because um, I feel like the conversation about, part of the conversation about representation should be about the fact that, it's, I think it's a cycle. So there, there aren't that many Black artists, you know, who are being shown in in spaces like that mm. um for a host of different reasons but if we kind of like go to maybe the core of some of the issues is the fact that you know like how are black people or you know black mixed race people engaging with art to begin with mm. so you know i i come from a creative background so I've always been experiencing art. So that wasn't anything for me to overcome. Um, but when you look at young people um, or some of the young people that I've, I've been working with over the last couple of years, you know, who've never been to galleries, who, who don't even like know anything about art, even based on the education that they've had at school, um, what now happens is then they don't those people don't grow up to become artists who would then be mm. you you know be shown in those gallery spaces right right yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so you, we can only have that being seen in in spaces like that when we have people who are yeah. creating the art so yeah. we i think i think yeah for me it's about going back to the core of the issue which, which will be to get more black people engaging with art you know as not just as you know a hobby but as a profession as Mm. something that could take you to that place where you would be showing in a gallery and people then can start to feel seen and we you know we've started to do it or you know black people have been doing it for other industries years now you know why not the arts I feel like mm. the arts are still behind in that regard in terms of like the education mm. side of things and mm. I think that that's where the issue yeah. lies yeah yeah you know because then you have like different communities for um black people who are in other professions so people yeah. who are going into law people who have then made it to become partner for example in a law firm are creating small groups where other young people can be mentored to see themselves in that position as well. Yeah, yeah. I I don't feel like it's happening as much in that way with mm. the arts. Yeah. You know, so there's different things that people are engaging young people to do with the arts, but not that level of education that um, allows them to go off and even decide that they want to, to become an artist, to start yeah. as, a, as a viable career path, there's sure. still like a, a barrier there. Sure. 
And this actually brings us on nicely. I know I'm aware of time because um, time is sort of um, ticking away, but I just wanted to sort of um, talk, I guess, briefly about um, um, your other initiative, which is Soaking Rooms. Um, and that's all about sort of promoting up and coming um, independent artists in the UK and like having sort of showcases and stuff like that. Are you able to just talk a little bit about, about that and how that started? Um, yeah, so that's that's more kind of recent work. I think that started around this time last year. I had okay. the launch in November last okay, year. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, yeah, I think the reason why I started it was um, I just started to get like a lot of um, messages and just like from my observation of like how things are online and um where artists felt unseen yeah so yeah I think there there is an issue where you do have people who may have started to just you know look at what they do and want to take it up as a career and there's just they don't know where to go with it um and everything that they're doing isn't working and people aren't platforming them the way they should be platformed um and that was really the reason why I started the Soaking Rooms it's to give those people a platform to showcase what it is that they do um because I feel like yeah with social media it really is you know it can become it's kind it kind of feels like high school sometimes all over again so yeah it's like a popularity kind of thing yeah Yeah. so the popular people get all the buzz Mm -hmm. even if their quality of work isn't as good as yours Mm. um so I wanted to because I have you know certain access to certain groups or you know um should I say I have a platform basically mm-hmm. I wanted to platform other people based off of my platform so it's like yeah. come and show what you do yeah. um, to other people let other people connect with your work um, come and feel seen just so it's really just a space that I created for artists across the board so it's not just um, visual arts yeah. but performing arts as well cool. for them to feel seen and begin to develop what they're doing to mm-hmm. become the career that they want it to be yeah and um when we sort of come out of this kind of like lockdown pandemic situation and hopefully in 2021 and um, like what kind of what kind of vibes is it like um that the the sort of evenings that you put on what what kind of um atmosphere so, you create yeah the setup is for it to feature visual arts performing arts and discussion mm-hmm. so um we would have a visual artist um, exhibiting on the night so mm-hmm. anything from a painter sculptor digital artist will be showing their work on the night um, and then we would have a bunch of performing artists performing on the night so poets yeah. musicians um, comedians the list goes on yeah um, and then there would be a, a kind of discussion segment of the evening that would be kind of like a a circle of artists themselves who are doing quite well in the industry Mm -hmm. to kind of share how they've gotten to the point that they've gotten to Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah for me that aspect was quite key to implement into an evening 
because I think sometimes people leave those evenings and again it's like what we're saying it's it, you don't see how it's any of what is happening is relevant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um there's that sort of one-dimensional thinking so for me it was it's important to have the artists who are doing well for themselves come and speak about how they got there and how relevant what they're doing is basically sure sure Cool, cool. Um, yeah, so like I said, I'm a bit aware of the time. Um, I just wanted to know from the others um, if they had any other questions. Um, I had just like one more before we get to like plugging like all your all your different um, initiatives and, and yourself as well. Yeah, um, I, had, I, had, I had a few questions, but other, they're, they're a bit meaty, so I don't know if there's <laughs> it can really go into them in any detail. Um, and I wish I brought them up a bit earlier, but um, yeah, the cool. direction of the conversation changed a little bit. But um one of them and if we can't get through all of them then fair enough but um was just around still kind of touching on to the access to arts piece but more from the perspective of collectors and investors mm. um so typically you know we find that a lot of people that do invest in art um, as an asset class itself is something i think that's becoming a bit more popular um mm. and it's something that i think black people uh, people from working class backgrounds, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, haven't really had that much access to due to lack of information or just you know general other barriers that come in that regard. So um, I just wanted to get a feel from you, like what do you have any kind of like strong opinions about that and how um, that can be changed if you think that is something that is important. Um, and the other question was just around this whole perception of the tortured artist um i thought it was quite interesting just based on the fact you work with people that might have um mental health problems or kind of like preventative measures to avoid those types of illnesses getting worse so um you know it kind of goes hand in hand when you have the this kind of trope you have a, a van gogh you have all these other artists even like um I guess more contemporary artists and music and stuff like the Amy Winehouses, like this idea of um, people making their best art through suffering or through mental anguish and that kind of thing. So um, I guess just your general take on that and how, if, if it does, like does that um, show up in the work that you do via workshops, this whole, um, you know, I think it said something around like people with schizophrenia or, or bipolar or, other other like conditions where there's elements of psychosis there's this um it makes people feel like that's where their creativity comes from and if they don't mm. if they go on medication or whatever the case is it might like Kanye West talks about a lot like when I'm on my medication I don't feel as creative I feel like lethargic I can't really get into that that zone um so like I said you have two very beefy like topics but if you want to touch on any of them in, in whichever capacity you can then I think that'd be really interesting to hear um, your thoughts on yeah, I'm really actually interested in the second question um, because I've been doing a bit of work on it over the last two or so years. More funnily enough, more on the poetry side actually than the art side, just because I feel like personally, in terms of my interaction with like the arts and creativity, I express myself more as a quote unquote. Um, tortured artist through my poetry than I do in my paintings. Um, and I kind of had a 
maybe call it an epiphany like two or three years ago where like I made this conscious effort to so I took a bit a break from performing poetry first and made this decision that I was going to be very intentional about the kind of um, poetry that I shared especially because the core of what I do and wanted to be doing was healing Um, because I must have just been sitting with a mentor of mine who basically said to me that she felt like I that I've grown from some of the work that I'm constantly performing at events that I go to or I'm constantly sharing and she's like you've moved on from that but you keep sharing that trauma that you know experience that very negative experience constantly and don't you feel like it might be having an effect on you and so it led me into this like deep kind of space where I was thinking about that a lot and just how um us as myself personally and people as artists and I think even just as a culture um so I was speaking to someone um recently about trauma porn is what like I like to call it and how even as a culture there is um yeah there's great emphasis on that how people are are seen through the lens of their trauma and then they it almost feels like they can't move on from that because just like you said for example Amy Winehouse you know Amy Winehouse is the the artist you know who who had of the experiences that she had with the men that she dated and the drugs and and you know she almost I sometimes I think about like what type of artist would she be now where she would have been slightly older and maybe is wouldn't have been engaging in those type of things anymore what kind of music would she be making how would people engage with her how would people see her um, and I think that, yeah, there's a real issue when we create this um, this trope where people have to make art or, or become an artist heavily known based on their trauma. Um, I mean, it's an issue for the person themselves because then they have to be experiencing something traumatic all the time so that they can make work. And then I think it's terrible for us as a culture, this idea that you can only create your best work out of a traumatic experience. Um, So, yeah, I I feel very strongly about it. And I feel like it's something that we need to tackle. um, And I feel like even in just like day to day interactions that we're having because I, I see it as something that has now also become quite popular on social media, for example, like people creating, like sharing online some things that have happened to them that are very traumatic. And while it may seem like, you know, for most people, it's probably coming from a, a good place. It's, you know, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, Twitter isn't a, a safe space to be sharing this type of information I don't know if anyone ever feels like that they see something that's on yeah. like oh well um I don't know if this is the platform to be sharing this kind of thing but 
and I think that there's just a, there's a culture around that where people and because you know, it's you know sometimes it's relatable and you something like that can get loads of retweets and just there's different reasons why someone might be sharing it but I think that there's like a real issue in in that and kind of building a culture that allows for that to happen I think it's terrible for people's well-being um they're like safeguarding issues you know I come online I see that I may have experienced something similar and may be triggered by that like so there's all these things that I feel about that kind of thing and I think it I it's just the same for me in the arts I think that obviously people should stay true to themselves and make art um that is authentic but I don't believe that people should um tie their work to their traumatic experiences basically yeah, yeah. um I've forgotten the other question that you'd ask but yeah no thank you no I think, is, yeah. I think yeah no that was that was yeah. a really um a really good response um yeah. and yeah I mean the first question I'd, I'd probably mean maybe that's a Percy so maybe I'll ask you <laughs> <later> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no thank you for that Oh, um, yeah. So just one final one, um, just before you plug, um, all your bits and bobs, um, is there any, um, are there any artists or exhibitions or galleries that, you know, you'd encourage listeners to go and see, um, once lockdown is hopefully lifted in 2021, is there anything that you're particularly interested in, in going to see? Um, so I feel like I've been basically disconnected from the internet for the past few months. <laughs> so I actually don't you know, like this weekend when I arrived in my flat um, mm. on Friday night had been like the first weekend I've gotten to do anything. Yeah. The factor yeah. of just like working and just obviously the whole pandemic. Like yeah. um, I even I deactivated from Twitter like two weekends ago. Oh, so, like it literally feels good, right? Huh? It, feels good. Oh, it felt it felt amazing. It has felt amazing. I don't even know if I want to log back on. <laughs> I don't I know think if it's, I want it's, to it's, it's, it's so helpful to take a break. Honestly, Honestly yeah. yeah. So there's that. So I haven't actually been in touch with what's been going on mm. in the creative world, and I like to like at the end of my year, just kind of like just rest and unwind and just, yeah for the next year so I don't overwhelm myself with like information like that necessarily but um I feel like just as a general rule I I'm just always encouraging people to um engage with what people are doing in sort of more um smaller communities and community-based work um just because I feel like a lot more, there's a lot more access there. Um, I feel like there's a lot more beneficial things coming out of what is being created there. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're more likely to see work that makes you feel seen. Um, For example, like we were talking about earlier with, with um, sort of the smaller galleries and with the, with the community hubs um, that, produce creative work so to speak so I'm, I always encourage people to stay plugged in with you know stuff like that um, 
I'm so I I come from Southwest London, so I I always okay. just know yeah what's happening. So things like Battersea Art Centre okay. are are the things that I know about. Um, um, I think the Black Cultural Archives as well in oh, yeah, yeah. BCA in Brixton. Yeah. yeah, so stuff like that are are places that I'm always going to. But that's cool. just I guess as a fact of having been been born in that area and growing up there. Um, so stuff like that is what I'd be encouraging people to be plugging themselves into because there's so much. So it's, I feel like one, it's bigger than just fine art Yeah. Um, with spaces like that. Um, yeah. And so there's, you get so much more from your experience in places like that. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Great. And uh, yeah, before we sign off, just plug um, yourself, plug your initiatives, Medela School, Soaking Rooms, where can people find you? Where can people find more information about the initiatives as well? Yeah, um, so I, it's always just best to go onto my personal account because then that links you to everything else. So cool. I'm okay. at um, Rihanna Ria, R-I-A-N-A-R-I-Y-A on everything, um, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and then, you know, once you go onto my account, everything about the Medela School and the Soaking Rooms will be nicely connected on there and you can view the pages and see what we're doing cool cool yeah. Oriana, thank you so much for coming on today um it's been such a good chat and yeah like i feel like with like so many of our episodes like we could just keep talking and talking and talking mm-hmm. um so maybe we'll get you back on um at some stage in the future but, i'd yeah, love thank- to come back on yeah. thanks for <laughs> having me as well yeah i feel like it's been like a long time coming as well because i remember the first time um actually yeah i guess met you was at um, one of our live shows um, <laughs> the live shows yeah yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> so um yeah thank you for also like being like a listener and supporter as well and yeah thank you for being an amazing guest yeah thank you so thank much you. It's been a real pleasure. Um, cool. And as for us, um, O2B Podcast Over the Bridge. So you can find us um, on Twitter and Instagram at O2B Podcast UK. Um, and if you want to send us an email for whatever reason to just kind of shout us out or just um, anything that you want to pitch or anything like that, um, it is O2B Podcast. Um, wait, hold on. O2B Podcast at gmail.com. Is that? Man, I've even forgotten our, our email. Call it nerves. <laughs> is it OTB oh, Podcast UK or OTB Podcast? OTB Podcast UK at gmail.com. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought I was just like um just had a bit of a mental blank. Um man, it's been it's been one of those years. I'm gonna blame it on 2020, man. It's been it's been traumatic and all that. But it's um, all right. I've forgotten before myself, so <laughs> it's all right. Um but guys, thanks again for tuning in. Uh and um yeah, uh just look after yourselves. Um, do whatever you can do to just kind of um, yeah keep up your well-being in in these kind of crazy times Um, and yeah thanks once again for tuning in Um, yeah over and out um, and have a great day